Welcome to the Horses in Life podcast. We're at Doubling Gap Ranch this week, and you're listening to Grant Bilbury sitting in for Cal Middleton until I need him to save me, but I'm going to try to make it as far as I can. So, Cal, go. Is that it? That's it. That's all I can. Hey, that's pretty good, though. <laughs> I know. So it was like 10 seconds better than the last one, which is- Actually was. That's, yeah. 10 uh, seconds, but- That's a big was, deal. Yeah, but it was a quality. So, we had a good ride today. Beautiful it is, day. It's the quality. Pennsylvania. Had a good clinic tonight, and Grant and I have been here working. Well, we barbecued some chicken outside the barn here. Let's list the things we did successfully first. Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that is true. We started eating the chicken, then we had to redo it. It was dark. I mean, it was hard to tell if it was done or not. So yeah, it was pretty, it wasn't done. Yeah, it wasn't really done the first time, but it's okay. And then- uh, we definitely have not got this podcast intro done successfully yet, but I think this is going to be the one. I'm feeling it. You know, this week is about Tommy Thrall, right? Tommy Thrall. Like Tommy Thrall, we will persevere. I believe in you. Working on me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so this is, uh, I think, I'm not, I, I have a new appreciation for what Cal probably went through. I don't want to say that having a, somebody else to banter back and forth with, or let me change that. I don't mean that I'm the solution, but man, it is hard to open cold by yourself. I'm just <laughs> going to humbly say, not not easy. I've only done a few of these compared to some of the people that I enjoy listening to and the people that I respect that I do a lot of podcasts and, and the radio shows and things. And man, just talking by yourself, going through the whole thing, It's there's a lot to... Lot to go. Get a plan. <laughs> that's what that's what I was thinking to myself. <laughs> Get a plan. And then I'll, I tried to tried to write something down, and it was just yeah. Grant's writing down cuss words over here. That's not <laughs> helping anybody. It's a clean podcast. You, you, you didn't even spell it right. It's only four letters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I censored it. That's a ha- oh, oh, that's hashtag. A, that's a that's a star. <laughs> I see. So anyway, Tommy uh, Thrall is a friend of mine that I grew up with. I remember so many times, I can't even count them all, where we were playing baseball in his backyard or in my yard as kids, and Tommy would be announcing every play. We would be playing wiffle ball or hitting rocks with the bats, or we'd be playing baseball or just playing catch, and, you know, it'd always be, you know, throw me one that I can dive for, or throw me one over here, or do this, or hit it off the wall, and then I got to catch, you know, and, you know, Tommy would pitch the ball, and then he'd announce how the pitch was coming in, low and outside, or it'd be like this, or it'd be like that, and then he'd hit, and then here he goes over to, you know, and then next thing you know, it was, you know, he started doing that a little more as we got older, and he started being pretty good at it, and then he got some jobs doing that kind of stuff, and Ever since he was a little kid, I remember once we were at a camp and we had a campfire and, you know, they asked us, what do we want to be when we grow up or something like that? And Tommy stands up, probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old and very specifically says, I want to be a radio broadcaster for Major League Baseball team, just like that. So here we are 30 years later, our Close to 30 years later, probably, I don't remember how old we were, maybe 25 years later, Tommy got a major league contract as the radio broadcaster for Cincinnati Reds baseball team. One of the team members there doing those games. So anyway. He uh, just wants to say, so what now, Billy from camp? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's right. All that's right. Finally yeah. culminated into that's right. <laughs> full Bill. circle. That's right. Billy, Billy big bully. <laughs> Catch you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just really cool seeing his whole story play out, you know, over the last twenty years. And uh it's really cool seeing somebody that's wanted to that's just wanted to work so hard at, at what the things they want to do since they were since they were that little and and I know it wasn't easy for a lot of the a lot of the time he put in, and it doesn't mean that he's got it all made in the shade now. He's still got a lot of work ahead of him, and I know he's excited for that and a lot more learning to go through. And uh, I was just glad I could kind of get him on here and uh, get him to catch up with us for a minute. Yeah, I tell you, if there was something that I wish I had a better command over, it would be the, the English language. What's possible when you can speak clearly is endless, I guess. And to think of what, especially these days of a million miles an hour media in five second intervals, the idea that that he can just, you could literally put on a headset, close your eyes and watch a baseball game as it's articulated through his words, makes me feel like a failure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's trying to say, I'm just, I'm just uh, humbled by, uh, you know, of course trying to use my own words. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Without, I notice now without physical humor, I might not be able to get (laughs) get my jokes across. (laughs) Well, you're sitting in the big chair tonight. I know they can't see that. Oh, that just helps me. It's just a tool for us. (laughs) And now that you're sitting still, we don't get to hear it. I know. Finally, it's one less thing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's definitely an art. Uh, those those guys that are that can bring that game to life. And you know, growing up, Tommy he loved listening to Denny Matthews. And I know you know we all he was kind of the voice of the Royals, you know, in Kansas City. And Tommy was a big Royals fan. And we talk about some of those things coming up on the podcast. But we spent a lot of time together, Tommy and I, and his his family and I. Uh, his mother Delia and my mom are good friends to this day and have been for years. And our brothers played played baseball together and you know a lot of great memories from a lot of the times that we spent together even though we we kind of hassle my brother coming up on the podcast you guys can listen to that you know i mean i just loved all the times that that we got to spend together as a family and as friends there growing up and and all those type of things and a lot of great memories and i sure miss uh you know it it kind of you know sitting down with tommy and talking about some of those things really kind of made me just miss my brothers and my my uh friends and family from back home and it's just some of those days where you just you know the most important thing you had to do that week was go play a baseball game you know and and at the time it was important you know and even though sports can bring you a lot of good things but you know those were those were big days you know those were those were the easy days those were the easy days. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Those were the days. So, well, I think uh, this is, this is going to be the intro that works, Grant. We're, we're like, we're, we kind of got through it unless we really diverge right now. I think we're going to make it. Let me tell you. Let me start this story. No, no. I agree. Oh, I was oh, gonna, let me tell you how I agree Perfect. with I that like sentiment. It. I like it. I like it. So just so you guys know, Grant and I will sit sometimes and start to do an intro for something like this and we end up doing a 40 minute dissertation or I don't know if Cal's angry at me or not about it, but I, yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm a diagnosed with ADD. I'm a diagnosed with the ADD <laughs> and I, you know, what's that joke? Uh, the chicken cross the road. You want to play basketball? <laughs> That's kind of how my thoughts go. How my go. But 
anyway, what what we do is we we do that, and then we end up saying, "Oh, we'll just we'll just record that and leave it for later," and then we try again. One of these days, we'll probably release some of those. I've been trying to save you guys from those for the <sighs> most part, but I think we'll probably put some of those on as like a blooper reel or something like that. And that's I'm sure when I go prime time. Yeah, and, that, and that's when Grant <laughs> makes his big <laughs> debut. I think for those of you that are I don't even know how to say it. Those of you that have nothing better to do when you're driving down the road. Intros and, 1 through 49 at yeah. least are worthy of, like, a, of, a, of a second look. Like maybe your radio is not working. There, you don't have any internet. Like you can't make any phone calls. and all, But you just happen to have these podcasts downloaded to your phone. And that'd you can be, listen to Rated R. That'd be, yeah. And, and you're okay with a few, not rated. A few uh, explicit words. That would be the time to listen to these podcasts with Grant and I that we've kind of put together. But anyway, enough about that. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I can't tell you how proud I am of my buddy Tommy Thrall for what he's doing out there today. And I'll make sure that there is some links and some stuff to uh, to where you can hear him and some of the things that he does uh, if you're interested uh, on my website. So check it out when you can. Hope you enjoy Tommy Thrall. Okay, here I am with Tommy Thrall. Tommy, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, appreciate it. Glad to do this. This is a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun so far. So Tommy has a lot more experience than I do with these things. <laughs> we were just talking a little bit. I started to give him my normal speech with my interview, my interviewees, and kind of said, so here's, and I thought, wait a minute, why am I telling you this? This is what you do. So Tommy, tell us about you and what you do. I'm part of the Reds radio broadcast team in Cincinnati. It's my first year doing it. It's good to be in the big leagues after I think it was 15 years doing minor league baseball, and it was a fun ride. Somebody told me a long time ago, they said, make sure that you enjoy the ride you're on, even as rough as it may be, because once you once you get to where you're trying to get to, you're going to look back and wish you had enjoyed it more. So I tried to do that as best I could in the minor leagues, and it was. It was a fun ride. You know, at times it's a little tough because the travel can be tough, and the money's not outstanding, but you find ways to get by and, and you enjoy it the best you can. So in the minor league system, when you were announcing there, you were in Florida for how long? I was in Pensacola for seven years, and that was after two years in Davenport, Iowa, a place that I never dreamed that I would enjoy living. I'm a Midwest guy, so it was good to be back in the Midwest because the year before I was in Iowa, I was out on the East Coast in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and that that was fun in its own way, but it's a long ways from the Midwest, and that was kind of a, a tough year for me, and it was a situation where I never just kind of – I never really fit in out there, and I never really got comfortable. It was the farthest away from home I'd ever been for an extended period of time like that. So when I got back to the Midwest, it was, it was just – it was nice to be there, and of course, it all got started. It's funny because people ask me, well, where did you get started? I'm like, well, that's a loaded question because... I can tell you. <laughs> you can, yeah. You're one of the few people that really knows. So it, it goes all the way back, really, to to high school. From high school in, in Smithville, Missouri, to Northwest Missouri State, where I started actually getting on the radio, to an indie ball team in, in Kansas City, and then out to Myrtle Beach, Iowa, and then Pensacola. Yeah, and now, now you're in Cincinnati. And of yes. course, you and I caught up here in Pittsburgh as I'm traveling through. It kind of worked out. So a quick digression... Smithville, Missouri, of course, but I'll, I'll kind of tell the, the listeners here too. I don't have to tell this part to you because you, you were there. But when we were little kids, and we, we met when we were 
our brothers were playing baseball, and they were in Little, little League. I mean, we had to be five and six years yeah, old. five and six that. years yeah. old or so. I remember. I distinctly remember the first time I met you. You remember? No. We were in, we were in Platte City, Missouri, at the little baseball fields, just coming down 92, right through town there. And our brothers were playing Little League, and you were over there playing in the dirt with some trucks. Probably. Or Sounds something about right. yep. like that while our brothers were playing. And our brothers were four years older than us, Taylor and Mark. So you were upset with your mother. Believe that one. <laughs> shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. But you were upset with your mother about something, and I remember sitting there, and I thought, I'll go play with that kid for a minute because I'm sitting here with nothing to do also. So anyway, we started playing with trucks, and the next thing you know, we're friends for years and years yeah. and years. And, of course, our families are friends and moms are friends and all that. But the one thing I was going to tell you, you said people ask you where did it start. Well, it started a lot, I remember, in your backyard when we were six or seven years old. You'd be announcing every play when we were playing baseball back then. It did. I think I was more excited about actually announcing our wiffle ball games than I was actually playing in them because I could never play worth a dang. So it was fun, though. I tell you, it's crazy because it truly the progression really is one thing led to another. And, you know, I, I remember distinctly like listening to, to Royals games, you know, growing up and outside of Kansas City and then recreating the calls, you know, the next day. And I think the first time I, I really realized that you know my impression of Denny Matthews because as a kid you know you're you're a little kid and you you don't know necessarily what what you're doing I guess but I I recreated a play from the night before and you might have been with us but I remember we were in your aunt's car we were with Shauna Shauna was driving Shauna Martinez and and it was I was hanging out with Casey and she goes wow that was pretty good and I remember thinking well well, wait a second. Maybe maybe I'm onto something here as as a little kid, and then so it just kind of grew from there. And it's funny the way that all kind of came together. And that's when that that was the first time I realized that whatever I was doing was was maybe a little out of the ordinary. The the impression of the Royals radio guy, and you just listen closer from there. And one day I got the guts again at one of my brother's baseball games, and uh, to go up to a former Royals television announcer. And at the time, he had a sports talk show in Kansas City, and I walked up to him, and his name was Denny Treese. And he and I still still keep in touch, but I walked up to him, and I didn't know who, you know, he didn't know who I was. And I'm sitting there shaking. I sat in the front row for about an inning before I finally had the guts to turn around and introduce myself. But I did. And I did that impression of Denny Matthews for Denny Treese, and he said, that's pretty good. I should have you on my radio show. Next thing I know, I'm a guest on his radio show at 10 years old, and it just kind of built from there. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was fun. Of course, you and I played on the same Little League team. Our dads were coaching us you know, at the time, and, and Tommy and I played in a town that was small enough to where you didn't, you didn't realize it sometimes, but I remember there was once we went to the ballpark, and of course, you and I were on the same team. Our dads were coaching, and my it, it just seemed like in the summer that's just what we did i mean every night you just went to the ball fields because you were playing or your friends were playing whatever well hey I, I had two older brothers and one of them was umpiring at that point and he'd been umpiring for quite a while <laughs> tommy's laughing because you remember this now <laughs> but we were all going to the ball field together because one of us would be playing the other one would be umpiring dad would be coaching you know whatever was going on well, Taylor said, oh, yeah, I've got a, I've got an umpire game at 6 or whatever. And then we said, oh, well, we got a game at 5 or whatever. So, okay, let's all go. So we got down there. Well, then we got there and realized that, of course, Taylor's umpiring our game. Our game. Right? <laughs> yeah. Still one of the worst calls ever, I think. Of all time. Yes. 
of all time. <laughs> and he's not even here to defend himself. No, he's, he's not. So we can really bury him here. We can really bury him. Oh, my gosh. That was he was because the, the play happened, and it's the end of the game. And it was against the other Smithfield team. It was against the other Smithfield team. The play happened at third. The umpire in the field, your brother was the plate umpire, right? The umpire in the field got the call right. And here comes your brother storming up the line to overrule the other guy and just completely botch the call. How long? And, and I'm on the mound. I was pitching. And so I'm looking right at it because it was a tag play at third. So I'm looking right at it. I might have had a better view than either umpire. And it could not have been a worse call. And all I remember, besides the call just being atrocious, was the reaction from our dads. Oh my my dad throws his hat down and storms out of the dugout. Your dad charges out. How long did they go the next few days without speaking? Well, that was a quiet ride home. <laughs> I would imagine. It was a quiet ride home. Oh, my gosh. It was yeah. great. Well, I, I was the guy playing third base. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. one of my best buddies, Jake Granatino, he was the one that was sliding into third <laughs> on the other team. Oh, you talk uh, about it, and you you look back and you just think, oh my gosh, what a what a mess. But like, who cares? Right, right. It was so much fun, but there's at the time you think it's so important. Well, it was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, at that point in our lives, it was that a, win meant a lot. It was a big deal. <laughs> it's a big right. deal. Yeah. Oh uh, my it's, gosh. Yeah, it was it was certainly fun, and I remember another time we rode together. There's not much of a story here. I just remember us riding together. We had a chance to advance in the postseason. All we had to do was win this one game, and for whatever reason, they decided that I would pitch. And <laughs> for whatever, well, you were a good pitcher. Well, yeah, whatever. I don't know if I'd go that far, but they had me pitching this game. We had to win to advance. I don't even know how old we were. I don't even think we were 12. And for whatever reason. This was the one day all year I could not figure out how to throw a strike. Couldn't do it. <laughs> and we lost. And that was that was it. That was because that team was really good. Yeah. I I couldn't remember anything else from that season other than that one game. I couldn't throw a strike. Walked everybody that came to the plate. We lost and it was all my fault. <laughs> it was all my fault. And that was a long drive and it was a long drive back. But long yeah. drive back, yeah. yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Tommy. It didn't, didn't make a negative impact on my living. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we seem to have both been able to overcome that yes. treacherous loss. Yeah. Yes, we can. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's so many things to that. I was, I was telling somebody on my way over here just last night. I, I drove up to Pittsburgh, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and I told him that I'm going to interview a buddy of mine that's you know announcing for Cincinnati Reds baseball team now and just, just got on this year. And so, oh, that's cool. How long? You know, have you known him a while? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I've known him a while. So, that, but that's the scary thing about sitting down with you in an interview. You know things about me, also <laughs> that most of my guests probably don't. So we gotta gotta that's, be careful. That's probably true. But but most most of those stories I don't think could be shared in this forum. So yeah, probably true. There's probably a few true. of those. Yeah. Tommy, I do have one question for you. Are you still scared of thunderstorms? No, actually, oddly enough, love thunderstorms. <laughs> love thunderstorms. Love thunderstorms. Now I get a little charged up every time a storm brews, which is a complete 180 from where I was. When we were little kids, Tommy was not a fan of thunderstorms. I'll go even further. I was terrified every time because Smithville, where we grew up, wasn't terribly far from the airport. So planes would fly over. Not not real low, but they would fly over. And there's a rumble there. And for some reason, when we moved to Smithville, I became convinced that every time a, a plane flew over, that it had to be a tornado. Just the rumble. And I would every time a plane would fly over, I would 
try to take cover in the basement. It was terrified. Isn't that something? Oddly enough, now I like both airplanes and thunderstorms. <laughs> yeah. Because at that time, you didn't know that you'd be flying someday on a fancy charter plane. Right, yeah. <laughs> heading to a major league game, right? That's also true. Yeah, who would, who would have thought? So you were telling me a little bit at breakfast this morning about some of the changes from the, I mean, of course, and like you, like you said, you have to appreciate the, you know, the path you came up on, but some of the changes from the minor league teams that you were traveling with and announcing for to the, this, you know, now just to clarify with everybody else, you went through about a month of spring training. Yeah, I was with the team for pretty much a month and a half in Arizona spring training. And then yeah. you guys just got started last week on the regular season. Yeah, we just, we just got underway. I think we've played five games so far. We've got four in Pittsburgh. Well, let me. Let me paint the picture of the minor leagues and, yeah, great. and what that travel's like. Sometimes the buses were, were pretty nice, but it doesn't matter how nice your bus is when you're, when you're cooped up with 30 other guys for 12 hours. That can be a long journey. So I've done that. Another stop along the way, we had a bus. It was a little older. And the bus driver and I were sitting there one morning having breakfast. And he goes, you know, I could get another bus. I said, Okay. He goes, you know, I don't get a newer bus. No, no, I don't. Why don't you get a newer bus? This in here will do eighty. <laughs> oh wow! And it would. I, it would. I swear, sometimes you're going around some turns on some of those hills, and that thing's got that thing's on two wheels. But you just try as best you can to sleep and wake up when you get there. <laughs> so some of those trips were a little adventurous. He was actually he was a a good bus driver, and we always made pretty good time wherever we went. And then there were there were other times where. You'd be going around or going along on a trip, and a five-hour trip would turn into an eight-hour trip because your bus would break down three or four times on the way home. So you deal with that. There was, there was one trip in particular. We're coming back from Kodak, Tennessee, back to Florida. And it was early in the season, and it was, it was actually Masters weekend, and it, the weather had just turned warm. I mean, it had been cool, comfortable. We had a day game. And it was about 90 degrees. First time that it was really hot. No clouds, nothing, no breaks. We get on the bus after the game. Now, the team showers. They're all cleaned up, ready to go. You know, they've kind of cooled down after the game. I was sitting in the radio booth where, you know, windows are open. So you're just sitting there roasting. Get down to the bus. It feels a little warm. What's going on? Oh, yeah, the AC's broke on the bus. Longest trip of the year. Hottest day to that point, no AC. I mean, you've got guys down to literally the underwear on the bus. Everybody's shredding as much clothing as possible. You've got, I think, the emergency hatches on top were opened up. The driver's got his window open. You, you open anything you can, but it, it didn't do a lot of good. So it was that was a toasty trip. And then you go from that a big league travel where the bus drives you up to the airplane on the tarmac you get on the plane and you get all the food you want and an hour later you're at your destination <laughs> it's it's so it's a little different yeah a little different that's great i was telling tommy i was i would be embarrassed to know what i would weigh if i had food just coming at me at all times i think i feel like the only thing that keeps me somewhat in check now is what I can afford and what I can't. <laughs> right. So I feel like if I was in a position where there just was free food all the time, oh, I'd be afraid of what I'd look like. Uh, well, we've got two two ice cream coolers in the radio booth at home, plus the press box cafeteria has ice cream in it, and you get fed before the game. And if you want to go back for a little more, you can't. So I make sure that I have a salad 
at least at every dinner. <laughs> at that makes get, me feel a little better. You at know? least get that in there. Yeah. So regardless of how much I eat, I, I've at least got a little salad in there. So that's good. So tell us about some of the things that you've learned about announcing and, and doing the different things with the people that you've interviewed and different times like that. It's, it's been fun. And it, again, I, th- I think it, the whole time you're doing something like this, you're really learning. And it goes all the way back to, again, I, I, I go back a lot to Smithville because that's where it truly started. And just to go through the progression, you know, that the interview when I was on the radio for the first time at 10 years old kind of opened up, I guess, opened some eyes and said, hey, this is what this guy wants to do. And in a, a town where we came from, people will bend over backwards to help you. And people did. And from school administrators, so then I get to high school, our basketball team didn't have anybody that would do public address in the gym. I certainly wasn't going to play basketball, couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, and was tiny. So (laughs) none of that really bodes well for basketball. So since I didn't play, our principal came up to me one day at lunch. We're sitting with a full table there, round tables. Principal comes up, and I'm a freshman in high school, mind you. Is Tommy Thraw at this table? And everybody start. I mean, there's 10 of us at the table, and everybody looks right at me like, what did you possibly do? And I was a good kid. And so I thought, what could I have done? So I said, yeah, 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 that's me. He goes, hey, would you have any interest in announcing our basketball games? I hardly knew anything. I didn't know anything about basketball. But of course I said, sure, let's do it. That got me over my fear of, of public speaking to some extent, because that's a terrifying thing to do, regardless of where you're at in life. And that that just helped me get a little bit more comfortable in those situations. And then that opened the door to the opportunities I had when I got to college. So I think when you look at the things that you've learned, it's that relationships really matter a lot. And you, you've really got to treat everybody well. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's you know, Joey Votto or if it's a, a Bat boy in the minor leagues, you know, everybody, everybody's got, you know, jobs to do. And, and, you know, you just kind of have to respect that, you know, everybody deserves to be treated really well. And so that's, that's one of the biggest things I've learned. The thing that I like about broadcasting and this job is the access that you have, because I love, I love baseball and I always have. And I tell every manager this when I, when, when I get to work with a new manager, I say, look, you know more about this game than I ever will. You've forgotten more about this game than I'll ever know. So I'm going to ask things throughout the course of the season if you make a decision, and I don't necessarily understand it. A lot of people would take that as second guessing. I just want to know the game from your perspective. So, And every manager I've had has been really good about that. And I can go down, ask questions, and through that, you just constantly learn more and more about the game. And I love that. Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned something about college. So you were on the radio in college. You did some DJ work. I can't remember which station when I was at Northwest Missouri State. Yeah, there was a few there. I worked on the student station. At one point, I worked at three different stations doing an on-air shift, I think in a period of 12 hours, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been... Well, you were a, you, you were doing some late-night stuff a few did times. Did some late-night stuff. stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, so I did... My, my normal shift in college, I was an ambitious freshman. They had one shift. Everybody's shifts on the student station were two hours. There was one shift every day that was three hours. I said, yeah, give me that one. Bring it on. <laughs> 
So I had the longest shift and I had that. It was Fridays, three to six. I think I had that pretty much three or four years I was in school. And that was my student station shift. Then we had the NPR station where I'd do late nights there. So that was like 10 to midnight or 11 to one or 10 to one, something like that. And then there was a commercial station in town that I worked at too. And I would do news, sports, and DJ there. And at one point, I did my student station DJ shift, a high school football game, came back and did the NPR nightlife shift, woke up the next morning, had to do the morning shift on a Saturday at the commercial station, and from there went and did the Northwest football game. That was a pretty wild, wild stretch. But I, I did. I, I did a lot of different stuff there. And KNIM in Maryville, that was the commercial station. They put me on just about every shift that they had imaginable whenever they had a need. And that was fun. I liked it. It was. It started out as an oldie station when I was there. And my parents always grew up listening. When I was a kid growing up, my parents were always listening to oldies. So I actually liked that a lot. And then they switched to classic rock. But yeah, I did. I did just about anything they'd asked me to do there. There were some nights where you were working, I think maybe until 1 a.m. or yeah. 2 maybe, and we would call in and you know try to get you to do Harry Carey or try to get you to do Danny <laughs> Matthews or something, right? Because you could call in and request songs. Yeah. We'd call in and ask you, hey, Tommy. Absolutely. Now, of course, what we were doing up at 1 a.m., I'm, I'm sure what happened was I was probably in bed at home. Right. And mm-hmm. my friends and brothers, and they probably came home from – church service or something right. and then they woke me up and said hey let's call tommy i'm always, sure that's we were always studying yeah everybody we was studying. always up late I'm studying. Sure we yeah. Were studying yeah we did well we had a late night radio show that was i think we did that from 11 to 1 a.m and that was on the student station that was me and another buddy of mine and that appealed to a specific crowd. Thursday nights in, in Maryville, Missouri for college students was a big night. There are a few watering holes that did some pretty good business on Thursday nights, and we knew that. And so the idea was to be on the air before people would go and then still be on the air when they came back because some of those phone calls made for some good radio. So it was, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we definitely, you guys called in quite a bit. Of course, you mentioned earlier about Denny Matthews. Right. Tell us, tell us a little bit about Denny and what kind of what he was to you in a way. I mean, he was, it, it's, it's funny because I, I grew up and he was baseball on radio to me. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's, he's been with the Royals since they started. I mean, he is still with the team and, and he brought games to life when I couldn't be there and, it was his voice and the way he could just kind of bring the games to life. They kind of captivated me. And I grew up always loving baseball, and I grew up loving the radio. So broadcasting for me, when I realized, like, that's a job? That guy's like, that's that's his job is to do these games. That sounds awesome. You get to watch baseball and talk on the radio? I want to do that. So that's that was kind of my my you know, motivation for wanting to get into this field. And, you know, he's he's who I listened to more than anybody else when I grew up. So he's he's a big credit to him of, of you know, where I'm at now. I mean, just because I got a lot of what I do still to this day from just listening to him. So what do things look like for the Cincinnati Reds this year? Well, you know, it's it's exciting and it's an exciting time to be a part of the organization because it's the, celebrating the 150th year which is a big year-long celebration. They went out, and from a team perspective, 
did a lot to improve this team. I mean, they hit well last year. The pitching needed to be upgraded, so they went out, got Tanner Roark and Sonny Gray. Alex Woods hurt to start the year, but he'll join the rotation soon. And those are those are three guys that can really do a lot to make and improve the, the rotation. The bullpen's pretty solid, and most of that group from last year is back. And then they, as good as the offense was last year, they, they made some significant improvements. Went out and got Yasiel Puig from the Dodgers along with Matt Kemp. And so there's a, a lot of reason to be excited about this team. And then being in Cincinnati on opening day, whew, I mean, I have never seen anything like it. First of all, opening day in Cincinnati to begin with is, I would liken that to something if you're a baseball fan you should experience. And I don't, it doesn't get, the notoriety that it deserves. Everybody says, oh, you got to go to Wrigley Field. You got to check out Fenway Park, do all this stuff. And then there's the things you have to do in life. Like, boy, it'd be fun just one time to go to New York City for New Year's Eve. Put opening day in Cincinnati on that list because it is unreal. I had to go outside the stadium. I got there early and I went out and walked around just to be a part of it. First of all, there's a parade through downtown. The little area... That's not a little area. It's called the Banks around the ballpark. It's a bar and restaurant district. They said that people start getting ready, quote unquote, getting ready. You know what that means. <laughs> they start the party at about 530 like in the like, morning. Like Thursday nights in Maryville. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it starts at 530 in the morning. People start start partying for opening day. I mean, it is unreal. You know, Mardi Gras in New Orleans or St. Louis. I mean, it's it's just it's such a big deal down there. It's truly a holiday in Cincinnati. So to be a part of that and on top of that with all the energy surrounding the improvements that they made for the team and, and all the expectations, it's going to be a fun year. They're off to a little bit of a slow start. They won on opening day and, and just got swept by the Brewers, but we've got four with Pittsburgh, so this hopefully we'll be able to get things turned around in this series. You've got a game tonight with Pittsburgh. That's yep. game one of the series there. Yep. Got a young pitcher going today. Tyler Malley had a good spring. Started out really good last year. Kind of got roughed up towards the middle, so we'll see if he can bounce back and, and put together the type of year that he's certainly capable of. So what is your your description here? What is your your expectations of to fulfill your contract with the Reds here? Are you Every every game you travel with them all the time, or yeah, in and out. Yeah. I'll be with the team all year, every game, and it's fun. You know, I'll do interviews pregame with players that that'll air on the pregame show. So I do a few of those every day, and then watch the games, which is a pretty fun part of the gig. Yeah, <laughs> and then the um, I'll do the postgame show after all 162 games this year. And that's that's a it's a fun thing. It's about a half hour show after the game. We get sound from the clubhouse. We do scores from around the league. Play some other highlights from around other games, which which is kind of a lot of fun to hear how other guys sound. And then yeah, preview the next day. Get in a lot of sponsor reads. Fulfill that. Pay all the bills. And then the other part of it too is you know it, Marty Brenneman, who is the legendary and Hall of Fame voice of of the Reds. He's retiring at the end of this season. His schedule is cut back a little bit. He's, he's going to miss between 30 and 40 games. So when he's out, I'll fill in and, and do the games in his place. And there's a handful of games where Jeff Brantley, who's a former player that also works alongside Marty, he'll be either on TV or he's off, and then they'll have an analyst come in. Well, the analyst doesn't do any innings. Marty gets three innings off a night, so I'll go in and, and – do those innings when Marty would normally have off when Jeff would do the game. So 
it turns out I'll I'll probably do around 60 games or so this year and it's just the people are outstanding you know I talked about people earlier and that's a big part of what this is all about and to work with Jeff and Marty is incredible I mean they could not be more welcoming Marty is a riot he is just he's constant laughs he's a lot of fun to be around He's well into his 70s, and you would never guess it. Just with the energy that he has, he's got this youthful exuberance to him. He's still very active, and his wit is unmatched. So it's a fun group to be a part of and and spend a summer with. That's great. So it's just really refreshing to to talk to you and and see what you're doing now. Of course, I I feel like you're one of those guys that we don't have to talk all the time to to stay close friends. You know, I haven't seen you as much lately, but – our, our mothers are good friends, and so I kind of always get to keep up and hear right. what's going on. But I remember, I guess it was a few months ago, just a few months ago, when I heard that, you know, you are talking to the Reds and looks like you're going to have something there. And, and it was funny, like for me, I was very hopeful when I first heard about it. But I remember also at the very, in the very first, it was like, it's not definite yet, yeah. but it's in the works. So I'm like, call me when it's definite, and then <laughs> yes. I'm going to call him. But I'm not going to call him yet because once once it's there, then it's like, oh, that's great. So, yeah. But you've been on this journey going through, and I mean, I've been kind of going around and kind of traveling and kind of learning through my trade and then, and then kind of just keep moving forward. I'm not getting charter planes or anything, but, <laughs> but but still, it's really cool that you're that, you know, we started out little kids together playing baseball, having fun, and then we're both just doing kind of what we want to do. It's rewarding to do what you enjoy doing. Isn't it the best feeling when you wake up and you're just excited for the day ahead because your work is what you enjoy doing? I mean, that's that to me is the most gratifying thing in life. Yeah. And there's been a lot of times getting to that where you got to, you, you wake up and you think, uh, you know, this yeah. isn't exactly what I want to do today, right. <laughs> but I think it's going to lead to what I want to do someday. So I better go ahead and do it. Right. You know, there's other times where you have to do whatever you can to make ends meet. And a lot of times parts of that are, are things that you don't necessarily want to do. I, I knew I, the fire was still burning bright. I was DJing in Pensacola. And, you know, going back to, to college, you, we talked about the, the, the DJing shifts that I had when I was in college, and I liked doing that. Sports was always my true passion. I, I loved calling games, but I enjoyed DJing. So I got a chance to do some of that in Pensacola, and, and I was fortunate enough that the station liked me enough. They gave me kind of a regular shift. I was doing middays. But I was doing that in conjunction with baseball. So I would leave the studio at 2 o'clock, and I'd drive down to the baseball stadium to do the game. And I liked doing it but I could not wait to get out of the studio every day and go to the ballpark. And I'd been doing it for a while by that point. And sometimes you wonder, all right, how, how long can I stick with this? You know, and you start to doubt yourself, you know, can I really make it? But when I had that realization, cause there was some talk of, Hey, the radio station may want to hire me full time and, and kind of hire me away from baseball. And, you know, you, you toy with that idea a little bit in your head and, I just, I, I knew that deep down that baseball was still where my passion was. And that's, that's what I love doing. And I'm fortunate enough to still be able to do it. So what does it look like making that change from, you know, working at the minor league ballpark, doing some part-time DJ and, and then getting that major league contract? Like what, what are the steps there? Are you, are you sending tapes to people? Are you going and, and meeting with people now and then? I think it varies for everybody. And that's part of what makes it so hard is there's no clear-cut path. There's no recipe that leads to that. For me, 
spending seven years in Pensacola the entire time we were a Reds affiliate. And when Reds people would come into town, you know, you'd talk to them, pick their brains a little bit, have them on the air. And I think to some extent you hope in the process you're making a good impression. I found out later that there were a lot of people that, that had gone on and gone back to Cincinnati and, and you know, had favorable things to say about me, which is refreshing to hear. Cause, you know, you never really know how people feel about you. And then I was given some pretty good advice last season. Hey, it wouldn't be a bad idea on your own to, or two years ago, actually, to, to go out to spring training for a little bit and just kind of be around. And so I did that. And I, I did something that was a little bit out of character. I, I, I asked the radio side, I said, Hey, would it be possible I'm out there just to do a few innings? And the answer was yes, which shocked me. That was for the radio. Um, that was for, yeah, it was for the Reds. A couple, it was before, it wasn't this year, it was before last year. So it was before the 2018 season. And I ended up, they were, they scheduled me to do two or three innings for two games. And before the second game, Marty turned around to me and said, hey, Are you here tomorrow? Are you around? I said, Yeah. He goes, Do you want to do the game tomorrow? I said, Yeah. He goes, All right, you're on. So I got a third game while I was out there. So that was cool. And it made me feel, you know, welcome. At the same time, you know, you're like, okay, the, these guys have kind of accepted me. And then I, I left there feeling pretty good about how things went. The season rolled along and a phone call popped up. Hey, would you like to come up and, and fill in for Marty during his golf tournament? This is during the 2018 season. And yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. Well, are you available? I wasn't. I had about seven other things going on, but I cleared that schedule right up and went up there and you know, just did the best job I could. They liked what they heard, and then they contacted me this past offseason before the 2019 season and said that they'd like to bring me on. So I think, yeah, being around, making making as many contacts as you can, and, again, just treating everybody, you know, the way you want to be treated. I know it's an old adage. I guess at this point it's probably kind of cliche, but I think that's the best thing you can do is just treat people with, with the same respect that, that you get. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for, like you just said, you know, I just I just did something kind of out of character, but I just went down there and just showed up and said, hey, can I work for you today for nothing? Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, you just, that, that's, there's a lot to that. I remember hearing stories about my grandfather when he was a young man and he was looking for a job and they were, they were hiring people to dig some telegraph poles or some, some telephone poles of some, of some kind at this deal. And so it was like, they were looking to hire people, and he showed up and said, "Hey, I, I'm, I want a job." And they said, "No, we don't. We don't have a job for you. We got to hire these people over here that have families." And he was a young single guy. And we, you know, we, we got to hire these guys with families first, and da da da. And he said, "Well, I understand that, but I want to have a family. I need a job." You know. <laughs> so, and, and so anyway, they kept going back and forth. Well, finally, you know, he just showed up, went went and found a shovel, went out there on his own the first day. And they were supposed to dig six holes a day or whatever. I think the story changed every time I heard well, it. Of course, yeah. But yeah. mostly they were supposed to dig six holes a day and by these exact dimensions. Well, he just went out there the first day and dug eight of them. And then when he got done, he just went, you know, the foreman showed up and he's like, hey, who dug these holes? And I did. Oh, I told you I wouldn't hire you. Well, I just wanted to dig them anyway. So the next day they hired him. Well, that's right? a great story. I mean, it's just like that's just part of it. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't even say how many times I've showed up. Right to do a clinic or to help people with the horses. And, you know, the week before, there's not enough people for this or that. And then you just think, well, you know, there's definitely not going to be a second clinic if you don't do, do the first one. Exactly. So sometimes you look at the first one and you think, well, there's not really enough people, but, you know, it's not really going to work out financially real well. But you're like, well, here's the deal. I'll just go help them with their horses. I'll just make as good impression as I can and do the best I can. And they're going to see that they're, they're either going to, after that, they're either going to like it or they're not. 
Exactly. I, I kind of leave it in their hands. And that's the thing. That's that's the key right there, what you just said. You, you either like it or you don't. Somebody's either going to like me or they're not going to like me. If they don't like me, I move on and, and go to the next thing. And that's the risk of, of trying to be successful in anything. But you can't be afraid to take that risk. I goes back to when I started out, I was, I was doing student broadcast at Northwest Missouri. And it was my sophomore year. And by this point, the college had hired me to do their baseball games. And it was the summertime. And I had gone out, so it was the summer after my sophomore year, I think. Yeah. Anyways, timing doesn't matter. I'm just thinking in my head here. I was at a Kansas City T-Bones game, and I was there with a buddy, and I said, man, they, they hired this new broadcaster. I wish I would have known that the job was open. I don't even know how to find out about these jobs. So I thought, well, I just want to talk to the person that's in charge of the broadcasting. The person in charge of the broadcasting is the broadcaster himself. I had no idea about that. This is, you know, this is indie ball. It's not like the big leagues where you've got, you know, people, a whole team of people in charge of that. So I went up to somebody. I said, well, I'd like to speak to that person. They're like, well, he's on the air right now. He's doing the game. So I left my number, you know. Hey, give me a call. I'd love to chat with you sometime. The guy called me. I was with your brother. I was. We were on our way to a Royals game. We're at a crowded McDonald's in Smithville. And Lauren Fox from the T-Bones calls me. I had no idea who this guy was that was calling me. I could barely hear him. And, I mean, this is early early years of cell phones. I had the big Nokia brick, you know, up to my ear in the McDonald's. And all I heard was all-star break. And I thought, well, this might be important. So I duck outside where it was quiet. And so I put it all together. It was the guy from the T-Bones calling me. And he said, hey, the guy that I work with normally just left, so I don't have anybody working with me the rest of the summer. Why don't you come up tomorrow and do the game with me? Or whatever, the two days, you know, and, and do the game with me once the second half starts up. <laughs> Count me in. So sure enough, I show up, go do the game with him. Same deal. He's either going to like me or he's not. I did games with him the rest of the year, and then for the next five years, we, you know, I was working for the T-Bones, and that's how it started. And from his perspective or their perspective, anybody in that role, they don't really care about hiring you until you just show up one day and they check it out, right? The initiative goes a long way without question. In my world, it's like, why would they want to hire me if they haven't even seen me work the horse? Right. Right. It's like kind of here. And like now I'm in the role where people may, you know, now and then I get people call and they want to come work for me or they want to come and learn. And it's like, well, just show up then. And then people call and email, oh, well, what about next week? You know, just show up. That's a big part of it. It man. is. Be there, be reliable, and work hard. I mean, I think that's the other thing. You always. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's broadcasting or what you do. You show up ready to work and prepared to work. That's it. I mean, that and that goes a long ways. So you were talking about you, and I, I assume that was Gabe, maybe. You it guys was, were, yeah, yeah. You guys were heading to a Royals game. Right. So you were... As big a Royals fan as I ever knew. Right. If I didn't say that correctly, I don't know anyone who was a bigger Royals fan <laughs> than you for a long time. Right. Have you seen some of the games lately? Of course, you've kind of been busy now. Yeah. This is something that I think is one of those deals. You, you grow up a fan of the game. I, and I hope a lot of people in broadcasting and people that play, you grow up hopefully a fan of the game. It starts somewhere. And to some extent, I don't think that ever leaves you. People ask me, well, if the Reds play the Royals, who are you rooting for? Well, the Reds. Uh, you know, like that's <laughs> they, yeah. at some point. Things you know, change as you grow it, up. It does, yeah. So, but 
I did do a couple of Royals Reds games in spring training. And the first game, I'll, I will say the first game was a little different. You know, we've got family texting, my brothers, you know, texting me and my cousins there. I can't believe I'm listening to you. Friends back home. I can't believe I'm listening to you call a Royals game. Even some college buddies on Twitter. So that first game was a little a little unique just in that, you know, you grow up for so long a fan of a team, and now all of a sudden you're broadcasting for the team they're playing. But, yeah, you know, you still kind of every once in a while glance at the scores. And, you know, it, it, it's odd now because they have two former Reds, Billy Hamilton, who I had in the minor leagues while I was with the Reds in the minor leagues, and then they also signed Homer Bailey. So I remember when the Royals won the World Series, and you were the first guy I thought about calling. <laughs> And I hadn't <laughs> talked to you like probably all year. Right. You know, I hate to say that because I feel yeah. like we've always been close. But you know, there's just times you're doing your thing. I remember yeah. when we were in Florida, we tried to. I was I lived in Florida for a winter, and we tried to catch up. Yeah. It just didn't quite work. But anyway, all of a sudden, I mean, I'm watching the games, having a good time, and of course, we're all you know. I mean, I've always been a fan, but I mean, I, I can't you know be too embarrassed to say that I, I was more of a fan there for a while, right? right? Whenever they you know, and I'm still a fan, but it's just you know, as, you pay, as was most of the city. Yeah, yeah as was most know. of people. So you pay attention more and this that and the other. But anyway, I remember and all of a sudden sudden one night i think it was maybe game three or so and all of a sudden i'm like dude i gotta call tommy yeah like i haven't even talked to him lately <laughs> about this whole thing you know it was funny because during that run i was i was working at the radio station the country station in pensacola and i could not get away it, we were in the middle of our ratings period and they, they have a very strict policy that you do not get time off so i couldn't even get away for a weekend to go back to kansas city so i'm watching it all on tv and that was tough it was funny because my roommate had gone to bed at the time. My girlfriend was asleep on the chair next to me when the Royals won the World Series. And so you, you build this moment up. What's this going to be like <laughs> in your head when this when this day finally happens? And, and that's the visual. I'm sitting there trying to temper my excitement not to wake anybody up in the house. Yeah, the, the, for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. It was you, just... <laughs> you visualize and, and fantasize about what's going to happen when my team wins the big show, and then right. there it was. There it was, yeah. So it is funny, like the loyalties thing of the teams changing as you yeah. grow up, I think. I mean, for me, of course, I never did sports to near an extent as, as you have, but just coaching high school sports – you know, of course, you grow up going to one school, and then so you're kind of loyalty there. And then next thing you know, you're coaching at a different school, and all of a sudden, it's just like snap. Things just you're like, you're not really against the other the old right. school, but all of a sudden, as an adult, you just don't really have that same loyalty to that. And I and I know going through the major leagues and all these people changing teams and stuff, yeah. it has to just it has to be that way. Yeah, it, it's the way it goes. I mean, look at your family is a perfect example. I mean. You've got Taylor coaching in, at Smithville, and Gabe still at Platte City. And before Taylor was at Smithville, he coached at Oak Grove and right. Harrisonville and <laughs> Lamoni and Bethany. I mean, you know, all like kinds right. of places. Well, and now you've got – in Smithville and Platte City, you're still – unless things have changed drastically since we left, they're still bitter rivals. So, And you guys are all very active in sports growing up. So it's, it's, it is. It's funny how that works, and you get old and – you you, or you you grow up. You don't get old. We we do get old at some point. Fortunately, I don't think we're there yet. But you you grow up and you do. Your loyalties just kind of change. But I think you always have to stay grounded to your roots and and remember the roots. And you know, I'm always going to think fondly of my time being a Royals fan. And you know, I think forever I will still, you know, just look at those scores just a little bit differently than you do everybody else in the league. You know, home is where I think you grow up, and and that will forever be where where I'm from of course so. well if it makes you feel any better the the parade 
was a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it was it was great, and I'm glad I went. But I'm telling you what, I mean, you've never seen a mess like that. I I raced home from my radio shift to watch the parade on TV that day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was down there, and let me tell you, it it, it was an amazing thing. Just you and about half a million other people, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I think the estimates were 580,000 people in downtown Kansas City for the Royals parade after they won the World Series in 15. I, I remember being down there, and this is this is what's changed today, right? The the plan was so my brother's going, two or three friends are going, some other people I know, and it's like, oh, okay, I'll call you when we get down there, and we'll all talk. And I'm sure you've probably heard some of these stories already, some some of you listening maybe you have too. But what happened was, we all went to Kansas City, and next thing you know, you realize there's nowhere to park. Like right. there's you, you people were parking on on the interstate because they shut all the roads down around right. there. And then what? Here's the here's the part that I don't think very many people probably saw coming. We all get down there, and the plan was, like normal today, you don't make plans of where to meet. You right. say, I'll text you when I get there, or sure. I'll call you, or I'll talk to you there. So we all got there, and none of our cell phones were working because all the towers were overloaded. And, like, I think out of 580,000 people, there was probably 15 cell phones working. So none of us could call each other. None of us could text <laughs> each other. It was crazy. We all just stood around, and next thing you know, it was like, well, I guess we'll just stand here and watch the parade. Make and friends with the people around you. That's what we did. We yeah. made friends with the people around us. We had some, we had, I mean, it, I just stood there with a bunch of strangers yeah. and watched, you know, Salvi and Gordon, everybody come on by and we just saw it. And then, then I stayed around and watched the, the deal over at Union Station. But I mean, it was just a gas. Looking at it, it just looked like a complete cluster. But it was, it was great. And like I said, I mean, it's what, something that you do every now and then. I was talking to some guys there. I remember some guys that I befriended because we were just there and there was nowhere to go. You can't see right. anything. So we were just kind of hanging out. And next thing you know, this guy says, well, the, he was there at the last Royals parade 30 years ago, right? And what he, he skipped school that day to go watch the parade. And his mom told him, do not go to the parade. you got to go to school. So they skipped school, and his mom sees him on TV. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we had, a great, we had a great time and a great story. But, yeah, those are some good things. But, anyway, I, I thought about you there that, that, that time for sure. That's what those moments are great for is the stories down the road. I mean, it was you know an experience I'm sure you don't trade for anything. Well, listen, Tommy, I sure appreciate you coming by and taking time to do this. Yeah, I appreciate you lowering your standards for guests and having me on. It's <laughs> yeah, outstanding. Right. So, no, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of you and how happy I am that you're out there and chasing your dreams, doing your thing, man. Well, the, the same is true of you. I mean, it's it, it, like you talked about, it's, it's cool to see the parallel paths, each of us doing what we like doing. All right, buddy. All right, Good luck so tonight. If you're enjoying the Horses in Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.